This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. And if you have any questions, concerns, or comments related to plant material, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mr. Kelly, before you step out, uh, I read on the Internet that the refrigerators in Air Force One were going to cost $23.7 million. Yeah. Now, I know we've had a real big controversy here <laughs> at Intercom with our refrigerator. Oh, Should man. we get a $24 million refrigerator? Only Would that help us? if it self-empties. Ah. You know, maybe it can have shelves that kind of, you put it on the front of the shelf, and then like each day it moves back. And after it's there for so long, it like drops into a trough at the back and then gets taken away. So that's the ones that on Air work. Force One. It could be, could be. Because how can a refrigerator cost twenty four? That's a really good question. Yeah, yeah. It better have a tapper in it. That's all I'd say. <laughs> and even then, because uh, yeah. I looked at our refrigerator, it scared me to death. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's scary when you open it. It's kind of like the closets at my house. You. You open it with care. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks for your insight. You're on welcome. Refrigerators. Anytime. <laughs> hey, it's cool, man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and the phone number is 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Every Saturday we get together and we discuss your yard, your garden, your landscape, how are your houseplants doing, how about using potting mix? Do we need to transplant our house plants? No, don't do it yet. It's a little bit early. You can do it, but uh, there's no reason to rush and do it. How about you? Any pruning? Yes. Get rid of any kind of storm damage, diseases, plant removal, certainly, and making the best choices. Remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take work on your part, both physical and mental. It's a great marathon, and it's called gardening, and uh as I said before, I have said many times, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. He's again producing. And by the way, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since its inception, 1994. I've written five gardening books during the course of that time, and uh, two are available at various locations. And I write uh, articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. That's a m- magazine that comes out every other month. During the week, I do landscape consulting, and if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, uh, go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the homepage, there's an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. It was raining this morning, and uh, when it's raining... My hair, if it gets wet from the rain, it gets curly. Oh, terrible, terrible. Anyway, this rainy morning, sidewalk was reflecting really some great lights. Street lights, building lights, old courthouse lights, and the Salvation Army colorful tree of lights lights. 
they were being reflected as well. The skating rink seemed to be gone. The playground with special shaped lights was there, though. And across the way, a string of lights illuminate where a gazebo area is. Where is this? Well, this is Keener Plaza. Keener Plaza, if you've not been downtown over the last couple of years since it's been renovated, I don't know exactly when it, I think it was earlier this year, that it was at, well, probably not this year. It couldn't be earlier this year. This year is only three weeks old. But uh, last year it was opened up after an extensive renovation. You wouldn't even recognize the place. Totally different. Some of the aspects of the old one I really liked, the cascading water and things like that I thought were great, but they decided they didn't need that. But there's rolling hills that are covered with lawn. They add interest in. There's some banners along Market Street that say March. No, not March. Arch Madness. And uh, there's some really neat other things. Around the other side, that's where there's a bicycle lane and lots of places to lock your bike up. So bike stands over there. There's benching that follows the outlines of all the planting space on the west side. And some of the trees are being uplighted. I think that's really kind of a nice touch. And it creates a nice silhouette. A few cars were out this early in the morning. And interesting, though... I can't quite figure out. I'm no expert on any of this kind of stuff, but it has nothing to do with plant material. A lot of the stoplights now have these flashing red and blue lights. I don't know. Are they taking pictures? Are they actually monitoring how many cars are at those stoplights and maybe changing lights a little bit quicker? I don't know exactly what they do. So anyway, the ground, yes, it's soaking up the rainfall in preparation for the return to winter temperatures on Monday. So this is really a good thing. So it will help reduce the amount of heaves and thaws and heaves and hauls and whatevers that kind of force root systems to get torn up a little bit. So moisture is greatly important, and we've had a lack of moisture most of the wintertime and late fall as well. So thank goodness it's raining before it's going to get down into the, I think the teens on Monday will be the low and then the upper 30, mid-30s for the highs. But anyway, you can just check with Brian Kelly and or go to KMOX.com to get the actual forecast. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. As I said before, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Maybe you've got some time on your hands, you're working in your yard, yes, you've got everything taken care of, and you're not adding a whole bunch of new stuff. Well, why not be a volunteer? There's many organizations in this region that could certainly use your help. Uh, Brightside St. Louis would be one, Gateway Greening another one, Forest Park Forever, the Missouri Botanical Garden. And then there's also conservation groups, which could use your help. And sometimes it's going to be physical work, yes, but sometimes they need help just keeping things organized. So if you're not somebody that necessarily wants to get out and, let's say, walk the slopes of uh, Highway 40 or 64 or whatever and, you know, clean up debris or trash or whatever it happens to be or anything like that, but you have skills that are more or less indoors, these organizations need your help. So please give that some thought. And uh, I'm going to keep hammering on this. Get your soil samples taken and get a soil test done. So stop guessing 
with the fertilizer that you're putting down. You may be amazed that what the results of the soil test is going to do. It's going to say maybe you've been using too much fertilizer with these too much phosphorus, too much potassium. You may be not using enough phosphorus or potassium. You may have an extreme level of this or that. And all that can really affect your plant material, how well it's going to do for you. So even though you think you're doing a great deal, you're probably, or maybe you're not. And the only way to find out is having tested. So it's just like yourself, your health. Go to the doctor and get some tests done. I had, a, I had to, because I have epilepsy, I have to go for a yearly checkup at SLU in the neurology department. And consequently, they took a blood sample. And so they sent me all this stuff <laughs> with the blood sample. I mean, they sent me the test results. I went, hmm, I don't have any idea what this means. But they offer the option of me contacting the doctors back to explain what this actually means. So I haven't gotten around to doing that, but I'm going to be doing that really soon. Getting out there and recycling and reusing storm-damaged debris. So we've had some winds, and some of the winds have really knocked some of the branches. We've got three sugar maples around our house because we're on a corner. And uh, one of them did not look good at all this past year. Leaves were undersized. They were a little bit, you know, thin as far as the number and everything else. And unfortunately, very near that tree, just probably one house down, is a spot that has had water seeping up to the surface. And now I don't know if that's a water main break or I don't know exactly what that is, but it looks like something's going to happen in that spot because I see that somebody's come out and painted like a... I guess, parentheses around that area, saying this, is, this spot probably is going to be dug out because we got to find out where this water is coming from. So a tree that's unhealthy, like this tree that we have, this sugar maple, in a wet soil circumstance, this is not good for it whatsoever. So normal rainfall and everything else, that's fine, but water constantly can really do some damage to the root system of your plants. And that's why you got to make sure, or you should make sure, that if you have lower wet spots where water has a tendency to collect or sit, what you should do is get plant material that can handle wet soils. So whether it be, let's say, a red twig dogwood, you know, because you want a shrub in there, whether it be various perennials that can take them, whether it could be a tree like a bald cypress or something like that. Using plant material that actually mimics or duplicates what's going on in that particular spot is going to be the best thing you can do. But also realizing that, you know, when you buy something, it's going to be a certain size. And hopefully as it grows and matures, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So make sure that you're looking not only at the aesthetic value of the plants you're picking for various locations, but also the, what's going to happen as far as size-wise goes. You know, as far as width, height, and everything else. The house I was at this past week, they had put a white pine. They've been in the house for like 30 years or so. White pine fairly close to the house. And it has grown. It's fantastic. I mean, it's really huge and everything else in 30 years. But now some of the branching, which is way up high, hangs over the gutters. So they're constantly getting, guess what, pine needles in the gutters. So that's causing problems. So... Yes, we all want trees close to our house and everything else, but when you look out your windows and take some kind of analysis on the view that you have, also not only look at your own yard, 
but look across at other people's yards and enjoy the view that maybe their trees are providing you without having a tree right in your yard. Initially, when you put a tree in or a shrub or something like that that may mature, uh, you're seeing all the needles, all the branches and everything else. But with maturity, a lot of times the lower branches have a tendency to die off because they're not getting the same amount of light and everything else because the branches higher up elongate more. And so consequently, what happens there is you end up looking at bark. So if you like bark, that's great. Bark of a white pine, bark of a spruce tree, bark of a, let's say, river birch, all kinds of different barks out there. So anyway, let's go to Russ, and Russ is in his car. Russ, how are you today? Hello. Hi. Mike. Yes. I'd like to ask you a question about a pin oak. A pin oak last year had these balls that were dropping down. It looked like the pin oak was still alive, but I was wondering if that's going to be a perennial problem or is that pin oak basically going to die? Uh, Probably won't die, and if it does die, it'd be a long, involved process. Those are called galls, G-A-L-L-S. And what it is is a small wasp, not the classic wasp, female lays the eggs on the branch, on the twigs, and when those eggs hatch, they go into the branch. And when they burrow into the branch, more or less, that's what causes that bloating or that gall. And there are some trees that are just inundated with the number of galls they have. And so just anticipate or expect the number of galls to increase. I don't know how many you have now, but each year more and more galls to show up. So just realize that that's going to happen. Because these wasps... They're not really anything, unless they happen to get blown someplace, they kind of have a tendency to stay around the same, you know, area where they were born. Now, you can have a lawn, you know, a tree service come out and take a look, and they might try an injection system to see if that's going to help, but usually it doesn't do a whole lot for the overall health of the tree. So this is just something, and they're mainly, you know, these particular wasps, and the galls are really mainly on the pin oaks. I mean, there are on a few other trees, but for the most part, it is the pin oaks. So it's a long process, maybe, and they will probably die? It could. It, they, the reason, you know, what happens is just the galls don't necessarily cut off, but they do to a certain point, uh, the flow of sap, you know, to the ends of the branches. Or a lot of times the squirrels will cut them off because they want to chew on the galls because they have to chew on things. So there's other, you know, there's other kind of factors that play into it. But the galls in general do not kill the tree in and of themselves. They can weaken the tree and cause other problems to be more prominent. But for the most part, the galls are not deadly. Thank you. Certainly. Good luck with that. And if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Speaking of oak trees... Uh, in red oaks and black oaks, there's a disease called oak wilt. And this is a disease that is deadly to the trees. And what it is, it's actually, it gets into the veins of the vascular system of the red and black oaks, not so much the white oaks. They can get it, but for the most part, they don't get it on a routine or regular basis. And it's transmitted either by insects. So in other words, the insect is in a tree, and, you know, let's say it goes underneath the bark, gets into the sap, and gets coated with this wilt, this, you know, this disease. It doesn't affect the insect whatsoever. Then the insect goes and lands on a tree that's not impacted by the oak wilt at this particular time. 
burrows in under the bark, into the veins, and it can inoculate an, an oak tree. And slowly but surely, the process will go downhill. Also, how this disease is transmitted, if you have several different kinds of oaks, even like the red and black oaks, we probably don't have too many black oaks here. We do have some. But when the root systems grow and they grow on top of each other, a lot of times as they, the root systems get bigger, they will open up to each other and they will start. So in other words, the bark that's around the root system where they're touching each other diminishes, goes away. And so then the sap flow from the tree to the other tree is going to happen. So if one of those trees happens to have this oak wilt disease and the, the, the other tree that its root system is growing over the top of doesn't have it, guess what? It can transmit it to there. So and this in Oakwell disease, there's no cure whatsoever. So, so it's not only you can cut the tree down, you can grind the stump out, but the root systems are going to stay, you know, viable for quite a period of time. And so consequently, if you have other oaks, now it doesn't affect other trees. So it's strictly oaks. So it doesn't affect maples, it doesn't affect ginkgos, it doesn't affect anything else. So just keep that in mind. If somebody comes out and tells you you have, have oak wilt, that's a bad, bad sign. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You might go out and check the bed areas where you've planted your spring flowering bulbs or where they have been for the last couple years. We've had a couple warm days. Now, the first few warm days we had, the ground was still frozen. I mean, last Saturday it was frozen. I was, the house I was at, we tried to, you know, they have brick edger. And I, we tried to pick up a couple bricks so I could kind of say, well, let's reconfigure the bricks circumstance so it's going to be this way. We got one brick up out of the ground. The rest of them were still frozen. So it has been, I mean, the ground has finally started to thaw a little bit. And that's, you know, a good sign. But don't, what's going to, what that means is you might start to see some foliage of your crocus, of your daffodils, of your spring flowering bulbs coming up out of the ground. Don't get into a panic. Don't put any mulch over the top of them or anything else. The only thing that's going to do is aesthetically kind of ruin the leaves, the tip of the leaves. And the leaves are very important. I won't fool you because as they come out as a bulb flowers, those leaves are helping build up the bulb for next year. Also, this is a time of year it might be a little bit early, but soon when you start to see this emerging foliage, that's when you want, to fol- you, you want to feed your bulbs. So in other words, yes, they do need feeding. Even though they got this big thing at the bottom underneath the ground, extra food, fertilizer is going to help them. So let's go right now to Tom's yard, and Tom lives in Granite City. Hi, Tom. Hi. Um, I have a kind of a follow-up on that gall issue. Uh-huh. I have two oaks in the front yard, and I, they're not six feet apart. Branches are intertwined. Um, one of them is full of galls. The other one isn't. I don't see any on it. We are thinking about cutting the one down. I heard you say these wasps stay where they're born. Would they then populate on the other oak? Now, are they both red oak types? Are they both pin oaks, or is one a white oak and one a red oak? 
Uh, they're both the same. I, I'm not sure what. I think they're white oaks. Okay. They're, they're both the same. Well, white oak has a bigger leaf, and usually the tips of the leaves are more roundish, where the red oak group, the tips of the leaves are more spiky. So, well, then it's a red. They're uh, spiky. <laughs> okay. So, in other words, probably pin oak or something like that. But yeah, certainly that's an option or a possibility. I mean, there's no getting around it. And you always wonder, well, why would one, you know, that shows you how, right. you know, I mean, narrow these, these wasps, their thought process is. So, I mean, they're not the kind of wasp that sting or anything else. So you could try yeah. taking it down, but if it's a large tree, realize that if they were that close together, that when the other, when the, let's say, infected tree, the one with the galls is taken down, the other tree is going to look really one-sided for the rest of its life. And if the you know the side that's now exposed because one tree has been removed is facing oh. south, you're gonna you know have some you know some scalding on the bark. You could have some splitting on the bark and other things like that. I'm not saying don't take it down. Just realize yeah. there could be an echo effect beyond just the gall factor. Just the galls. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Okay. Well, I appreciate. It. I really like your show. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me right. on your show. Greatly appreciate it. Let's go from Granite City over to Overland and into John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning, Mike. Like you were talking about a few minutes ago, we're fortunate to have several large trees in our yard. But what that means is even though the front of our house faces south, it's pretty much in full shade all all day long. And we have trouble growing any any kind of plants that have color to them. Do you know of any kind of plant, whether it's a perennial or an annual, that has some color to it that will thrive in the shade that we have there? And it can be the foliage that's colorful, the blooms that are colorful, just anything that we can put there that has uh, some color to it. Right. The shade factor is really important, but also the tree root system. That's the one that really restricts growth on lots of different things. So, I mean, there the are... beds are raised up a little bit. Yeah, that one... kind of amend the soil? That doesn't help too much? No, it really doesn't. I mean, it will help some, but it's, it's not going to make a major difference. And I mean, I'm you know, saying that from personal experience. When I worked at the Botanical Garden, I started mm-hmm. there in the second year of the English Woodland Garden. And that was a grove of trees that was really, when Henry Shaw was still alive, that's where they dumped all the garbage now, that was all cleaned up and everything else. But there was sycamores in there. There was all kinds of different things. Really, I mean, they started planting some ornamental trees when the English Woodland Garden was sort of evolving in that first year. But the root systems were really limiting on a lot of different plant material. So one of your main things that you could use would be looking at the hostas, H-O-S-T-A. Now, you know, I mean, some of them will have a grayish-blue leaf. Some of them will have a variegated leaf, so in other words, stripes, you know, stripes in it. Some of them have mm-hmm. a goldish leaf. But other things, a ground cover called snow on the mountain. Snow on the mountain. Right. Okay. And I'll, I'll spell the botanical name. It's A-E-G-O-P-O-D-I-U-M. Now, it is somewhat invasive, but it's white. So it's, it has some, you know, pale green in it. It is, you know, herbaceous. So in other words, in, in the wintertime, it disappears. But, you know, okay. all for like seven months out of the year, it's going to look like a blanket of white, like snow underneath all these all right. trees. Okay. So that would be, you know, take a look at those two things. And then there's a type of fern called Japanese painted fern. Now, the fronds on that fern, so in other words, the leaves have a silverish look to them. So okay. I would probably just take a look at those three things. And whenever you're planting them, don't plant them too close to the tree trunks. 
because it's solid wood right at that spot. But just realize that further away you get from the trunk also, that's where the feeder roots, the aggressive roots are. So it's, you know, it's a very difficult circumstance. But you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot.org, and just check it out and see what kind of plants that they have, like in the woodland garden or some of the shaded areas themselves. And if you want a ground cover, I mean, you, you don't necessarily want green, but there's a type of ground cover as well that's evergreen, and it's called periwinkle. V-I-N-C-A is a botanical name. And the periwinkle, in another, let's say, it's hard to say weather-wise, but it has blue flowers on it in the springtime. And then you could mix that in with that snow on the mountain. So the snow on the mountain comes up in between the periwinkle plants. You know, when it's, let's say, warmer weather, creates that sort of field of white, and then it dies down in the wintertime. And then you have the evergreen periwinkle, the vinca minor, you know, that helps cover the area during the wintertime. I'll bet that's beautiful. Yeah, it is a good combination. Now, are any of these, if I wanted to uh, minimize the, the tree root aspect of it, can any of these be grown in pots? Certainly. Would they try it? I mean, a okay. hosta, you know, especially can be grown in pots. So, you know, some of the other ones, eh, they're probably going to do better in the ground as as opposed. They will probably grow in the pots, but they're not going to create, you know, if I was going to, if you're talking about growing things in pots, I look at annuals, but that's not going to give you very much in the wintertime. So, I mean, there's no, types of, yeah, yeah, types of begonias, and there's all kinds of different things you can grow in pots in deep shade and, you know, with no problem at all. You're going to have to pull your hose out. You're going to have to water them and things like that. But beyond that, pots are, you know, I, I, do, I grow a lot of things in pots. Let's put it that way. Well, maybe I'll look into that then, putting some pots out there, and then we can get some color there during the summertime. Right. In the summertime, and then, you know, if you get large enough pots at, let's say, and I've been experimenting around this year where I only have 12-inch pots, so I don't know how the bulbs are going to do. But historically, I have some of the pots, larger ones, that are 18 inches plus as far as in diameter. And I put daffodils and tulips and crocus and things like that in the pots. And only one year since I've been doing it, which is almost like 25-plus years, that it got so cold that the bulbs actually froze and actually rotted. But, you know, you could have something so you could have some spring fun out there as well. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, this gives us a plan, though. That really helps. Thank you. I well, great. It. Well, thanks for calling, and I greatly appreciate uh, you taking the time. And now let's go from Overland to Salem, Illinois. Hi, Rick. Hello, Rick. Are you there? Nope. Oh, it sounded like he was just... No, I guess he hung up. Let's go to Judy in Lake St. Louis. Hi, Judy. Hi. I'm glad you answered my phone call. I love your show. We have a weeping cherry tree, and it's over by our faucet. And so I always like to water it because um, I just love the tree. So I put the hose there, though, when I'm doing something else, and then come back and the hose is running. And there was bees or some kind. They looked like bees to me that were coming out. So I put the hose down there. Well, it was the wrong thing to do. I mean, they got me, and they it felt like a thousand needles were in me. Is there something I can do? They swarmed out of the base of the tree. Is there something we can put down there or do now before the spring comes and they go down there again? Uh, the, there's, I mean, they live there. This is probably yeah. ground hornets. 
Okay. They're very, very aggressive. And probably what happened is they freaked out thinking they're being drowned. So they aggressively came out and tried to find out what was going on. And they'll go after anything. And the problem with ground hornets is they not only sting, they bite both. So it's not like, you know. The classic, you know, a bee stings, it pulls a stinger out, that's it. No, these guys go on, and I mean, they can sting multiple times. They can bite multiple times. And what you need to do is just go out there and start looking for a hole that's about a a half inch or so in diameter. And the ground horns have a couple different exit holes. So just realize that, you know, you're going to have to look at several different spots. Once you find these holes, then what you can do is either have a professional service come out or go to your favorite garden center and tell them that you have found where the ground hornet nest is. Now, this time of year, there's not too many ground hornets because the queen will, you know, she's pregnant. She's going to be laying eggs soon. Then all the worker will, you know, hatch from those eggs. But you can try to get in there and, you know, monkey around, probe around, stick a stick in there because nothing's going to come out. But try to see if you can find these holes, like I said, about a half inch in diameter, and there's going to be multiple ones. Wow. Yeah. So is there a chance to get rid of them other than having a professional come out? Well, you know, it's if it depends upon, I guess you probably could, but this is not an easy group to get rid of because of where they are and everything else. So professional service coming out, that's if you're really serious about this, I would probably do the professional thing as opposed to trying to go after them myself. Either that or just stay away from this you know, area where you know they are. That's what I'm probably have to do, but I still can water my tree, but just don't put the hose at the base of that tree to let it get enough water. Yeah, the base of the tree is not where the you know where the root systems are that's going to uptake moisture anyway. It's going to okay. be however far out the branches go. It's going to be near the ends of you know that distance okay. where the branches are. Don't put it you know right there. Usually the ground hornets have their nests underneath like evergreen shrubs and things like that. But this particular you know group decides to go right where you are. So. Thank you very much. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, I will be back after these messages. Very first thing in the morning, I, I like to know what's going on when I start my day. Then you need total information AM in your morning. I like to know what went on overnight when I was sleeping. News. The national and local news uh, in the morning. Weather. I definitely have to know the forecast. Traffic. Just to make sure there's no accidents. Sports. We're big sports fans. Get all the information you need in your morning. U.S. News, World News. Local News. Weather. Traffic. All the sports. With total information AM. I have it on during breakfast. Only on KMOX, St. Louis's news, traffic, and weather. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed up to Salem, Illinois, and going into Rick's yard. Hi, Rick. Hey, I wanted to follow up on that uh, pin oak thing. I planted a pin oak in the backyard, a very small yard, about 40 years ago. And about oh, 15 years ago, it did get the oak gall. We had our tree service come out, and they ringed the bottom of the tree with an injection. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it still has some oak galls, but it has retarded that. We thought for sure we were going to lose it. Now, we have had to come, had him come in and trim off uh, some of the lower branches and some of the branches and so forth. Right. But it's still a beautiful old tree. Great. You don't have a lot of trees because it, it's, it's about 120 bucks now. It started out about 25 <laughs> It might be worth a try. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the injection is an option for sure. You know, just have to get a hold of an arborist and have them come out. But uh, a lot of times what happens, too, is, you know, people, the galls will hang on. So you may not have any active wasp in your pin oak, but you may have the galls could stay there for a long, long time until they finally, that particular branch, you know, just more or less either a squirrel, you know, chews it off and it falls to the ground or a strong wind can snap it off. Worth a try. Yes, very much. Well, thanks for your insight. Thank you. Yep. Bye. And now let's stay in Illinois, go to Belleville and into Karen's yard. Hi, Karen. Hi, Mike. We have a problem with our 24-year-old sugar maple tree in our backyard. It had had a mushroom-looking growth on the trunk about three months ago, and the leaves last summer were green but looked smaller than normal and kind of withered. And the leaves in the fall were not nearly as colorful and, and sort of fell off early. Right. Now the, now the bark near the ground has streaks that look like rotten or dried out, and a woodpecker has been attacking it. Is there anything we can do to save our beautiful tree? Well, the woodpecker has nothing to do with maybe okay. the problems. Sapsuckers and woodpeckers are always on our sugar maples. I mean, okay. constantly. And they always do the holes about a quarter inch, and they'll do like five holes horizontal. You know, yeah. right next to each other. So that's yeah. not really, you know, the problem. I would have, you know, with your bark now, are you sure, you know, having, you know, some things growing on your bark is not a good sign. But make sure that where the bark is, let's say, splitting or whatever is, you know, that you're noticing, the girth of the tree trunk is getting bigger. And when the girth or the tree trunk gets bigger, that can cause some splits in the bark. It's not something to be necessarily concerned with. The fungus growing on the trunk, that may be a result of, let's say, sap running down or something like that. But go out there and just take the area where you suspect where the fungus was, if it's still not there, and just see if you can pull the bark off in those spots. If you can't, then I would say there may be a little bit of a problem, but I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. If you can pull the bark off, take as much of the loose bark off as you possibly can and just see how big of a gap there is. Because that's where all the veins are is right below the bark. And so consequently, when the amount of bark has been reduced, then there's not as enough veins to take the moisture and nutrients up from the root system up to the leaves. And you're saying your leaf, you know, sizes and color and everything else has been diminished. So it is, you know, it's probably under somewhat stress. I would probably do either yourself or have a service come out and do something called deep root feeding. This is where you get an electric drill and an earth auger, which is like a drill bit that's about an inch, go out about halfway from the trunk to the furthest extension of the branches, and then auger some holes. So in other words, drill holes. You want them to go down about six inches and do a circle all the way around, then go out two more feet, do another circle, and backfill all those holes with compost. So what you're doing is you're feeding the soil as opposed to trying to fertilize the tree because a healthy soil may be help what your tree needs to actually recover. Okay, that sounds good. Thank so, you. Yeah, deep root feeding. Take a look at that. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, it really is effective. There's no getting around it. Healthy soil is the best way, not only to keep your plants healthy, whether they're you know not doing all that well or not, but that's you know putting fertilizer in the ground. It's kind of like when you're not feeling well and somebody says, well, you should eat something. Yeah, that's not necessarily the case most of the time. So thanks, Karen. And now let's go to Ron in South St. Louis. Hi, Ron. Hi. This must be the morning for pin oaks. Um, <laughs> years ago, we had a, uh, 
I'll call it a gall, but it was on the leaf, and it was referred to as peach leaf curl. Is that similar, same cause, or no, how it's, might it be treated? It's a different, a different insect. Okay. So, so, in other words, a lump on the leaf is completely different than what happens as far as the lump on the twigs or branches. The size and everything else is completely different. So they're not allied except you know, from the simple fact that they are you know, insect-related. A hackberry tree has a lot of those pimples on its leaves. But uh, you know, the pin oak can certainly have them as well. But uh, again, it's you know, an injection system may be one thing. And uh, historically, do you still have the tree? Yes. Okay. Is it still getting the bumps on the leaves? You know, I haven't noticed it in the last several years. Yeah, so maybe whatever the cause was, you know, either got froze off, you know, frozen or something. So anyway, it's, you know, it's, if you're not noticing it, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. But the gall twig branch thing is completely different from the thing on the leaves. Okay. Well, great. Thanks, Ron. Mm-hmm. Let's stay in South St. Louis and go to Tom. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hey, Mike. Uh, listen, I bought, bought a poinsettia for the first time, like in November, and it's still got the red leaves and everything on mm-hmm. it. Can you plant those, or can I put it outside in the pot that it's in? How long will it last? Uh, basically, outside, it'll last as long as the weather's warm. So you can't plant. I mean, it's not a hardy plant at all. It's a tropical plant from virtually, I don't want to say a jungle area, but basically that's what it is, a tropical area. And so consequently, it's not hardy. So if you put it outside, you leave it out. I wouldn't put it out yet. I'd probably put it out sometime mid to late April, uh, early May, and then don't put it in direct sun because it'll sunburn the the bracts of the leaves or anything else. And then when we get around to like, uh, oh, let's say mid-September, early October, then you bring it back inside. So keep it in the pot, though. Yeah, you can you can leave it in the pot for a long time. My mother had a poinsettia for like a dozen years or something. I don't think she ever put it into a larger pot. So it got pretty tall and it looked a little bit awkward, but they don't necessarily need a huge pot because then it just becomes problematic. But if you do decide you want to put it in a different pot, a bigger pot, only make sure that the pot is one or two inches bigger than the existing pot it's in. Don't put it in a big pot thinking, I'll never have to transplant this thing again. Okay, thank you. Yep. Yeah, poinsettias are, you know, really great fun. I, don't, I haven't had any for a couple years, but uh, they are just real nice. Um, Rodney, can you do it real quickly? We got about a minute or so. Yeah, I've got a blue spruce. It's probably a little over 20 feet tall, probably 25 years old. And this year, it's like the bottom half of it has died out. Any ideas? Uh, so all the branches all the way around have turned brown. Yeah. So Just like from the bottom up, and it seems to be creeping up from the bottom. Yeah. Usually that means there's been some kind of change in the amount of moisture that's around the tree. So usually with the spruces from, you know, the branches dying from the bottom up indicates there's too much wetness, even though we've had really dry, but earlier in the year, if you remember, we had a huge amount of rainfall. So yeah. the water didn't get away from the root system and, spruces yes we sell them here they are hardy here but they're really from a part of the world where the soil is really rocky they almost grow in pure rock so consequently that's probably what's happened to it okay probably no saving it then no probably not to be honest i would go ahead and just cut off all the branches that are brown cut them back as close to the trunk about it leave a stub about a quarter inch or so but uh, for the most part this is not a good sign 
right, man. It's been a beautiful trip. Yeah. All right. Yeah, All unfortunately, right, yeah. So that's, you know, that's too bad. So if anybody else has any questions or concerns, we've got another hour of the show. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Looks like the rain is over. The sky is starting to, you know, brighten up a little bit. So thank goodness for that. And, uh, oh, wow, winter. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. A proud partner of the 2018 100 PGA Championship at Bell Reef Country Club. KMOX, KMOX HD St. Louis, KZK HD3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.